So Romans chapter 8 and predestination. Hey, I'm the only one clapping. We, we get predestination this morning as a topic of Romans chapter 8. And I, w- I do want to spend time with you and, and I want to show you why that's specifically important. If you're new to church, the word predestination may even be a mystery to you. And I hope that we can kind of unpack that together this morning. So if you go into Romans chapter 8, I'm going to pray with you first, and then uh, we'll, we'll talk about why this is so significant. But here's how I need to pray. This is uh, material that's been just swimming through my mind for a long time. I knew it was coming. I've been working through it. And um, there's a temptation that I could really rush through it, and I don't want to do that. I want to take our time with it. It's, it's really important stuff. So I'm going to pray that God will slow me down a little bit, but at the same time that he'll illuminate our minds so that we really walk away not confused, but perhaps knowing God better this morning. Let's pray that way. Father, I ask that you would do what only you can do, which is indeed illuminate our minds through your word. Because of the anointing that you have placed on this, it is truly alive and it's active. It's your word. And you said that it does things. And because of the Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers in Christ, it's, it's not so much of a mystery, yet it's still a mystery, Father. And so we ask that you help us to understand as much as we can, as much as we're capable of processing. I pray for those in the auditorium and for those who are watching online that you will allow us to stay attuned to your word and the, the accuracy of what you have to say. And for me personally, Father, I pray that you slow me down and that you would really help us to process this. Father, I especially pray for those who might not be in relationship with you yet. And maybe they're new to church this morning and trying to process this information. God, be close to them through the power of your Holy Spirit. Draw them into relationship with you. Show them what a God of love you really are. I pray for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We started last week with Isaiah 46, and I want to come back to that as an anchor verse this morning. Isaiah 46, God declares, I am God, and there's no other. I'm God, and there's no one like me. And because that is absolutely true, God can make to you an infallible guarantee. People that we know make false promises to us all the time. But God makes promises that are absolutely infallible. He can commit to you, and he can see it through. When I started dating Lori when we were quite young, we were in our early 20s, and she was telling me about what happened to her when she was four years old in that she trusted some individuals when she jumped off a dock into some water. And they told her that the life jacket that she had on her would hold her up. But indeed, that life jacket didn't hold her up. She dropped to the bottom and touched the bottom with her feet. Now, as a four-year-old, you can imagine how that kind of scars you, right? So as you go through life, you begin thinking, well, maybe there's promises that can't be trusted. When somebody makes a commitment to you, there's things that you can't actually believe in. But when God makes a commitment to you, he can say, I am God and there is no other. I am God, there's no one like me. And when I make a promise to you, you can absolutely depend on that promise. So let's look at the promise we touched on last week in Romans 8, 28, in which God said, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That is a monstrous promise. And a monstrous promise like that needs an outrageously large foundation. 
It's got to have something that it stands on. And God gives us that. He gives us an outrageously large foundation. Last week, we unpacked the meaning of that promise that you see on the screen in verse 28. We unpacked how it applies to us, and we learned there's an essential component of it in which God is saying to you, whatever you're going through right now, whatever you might have gone through this last week, whatever might be ahead of you in this year that you don't know what you're going to be going through, God says it's not by accident. It's not by accident. Things don't just happen to you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God says, I've got you. In the midst of what you're going through, all those things will work together for good. I've got you. So Paul comes to verse 29, and he says, now, here's why you can know that's an infallible guarantee. You can know this is a rock-solid promise that you can take to the bank. Verse 29 of Romans chapter 8 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. My experience is that many people get hung up on the predestination issue. They look at it and say, that's the most important thing of that statement. The most important component of that statement is predestination. Do you know that I've never met a non-believer to whom predestination is important? It's only to believers. It's only a big deal with people who are believers in Jesus. Well, I want to tell you, it is an important statement. It is something we're going to spend time on, but it's not the most important component of that statement. I'm going to show you, and it's in your notes already, but you're going to see it on the screen. I think the two most important components of that statement are these two things. One, that God knows everything, that He's omniscient meaning he knows everything that's going on in your life. He knows everything that's going to happen, everything that has happened. He knows everything. So Paul can say, he foreknew. And number two, the second most important component of that statement is that God has an objective. And you saw it in the end of the verse. His objective is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. So for four weeks now, I've been telling you that these four verses They combine a core. Verses 24 through 29, there's a core of confidence. And so Paul is standing on the fourth core right now. He's stating it very clearly for us that there's purposes that God has to accomplish. If you haven't been here in the last couple weeks, let me just remind you what those are. You see those four purposes on the screen again. That his purpose is that he is going to bring about a regeneration in which he makes all things new according to Scripture. We have this as a confidence because Paul says in verse 24, in hope we have been saved, that there's going to be a regeneration. And then his purpose that he's intimately aware of everything going on in your life. He's aware of all those things and he does respond to those things according to verse 26. And so we come into verse 28 as we did last week and we find his other purposes. He's working in the midst of all those things to bring about good And the fourth one is his purpose is that he's conforming you and I to the image of Jesus. Those are the four promises that he's committed. Those are his purposes. So those four foundational purposes are structured on something that will not crumble. Paul says there's a foundation here that will not fall apart. There's a truth that holds all of them up and it holds you up and keeps you from falling so you can lean into those things. It's built on God's omniscience. God's foreknowing, his ability, he has it all under control. So we're only going to get seven words this morning into verse 29, and I'm going to take the first five words with you right now. Let's look at it this way. For those whom he foreknew. Now, what is that exactly saying? 
Now, the word for is used in the very beginning of the sentence, because, because he foreknew. You could insert the word because, maybe even write that in your Bible, above the word for, because God foreknew. So Paul's saying this, all the bitter things going on in your life, all the sweet things going on in your life, they're all working together for good if you're in Jesus. And here comes verse 29, and he says, because... Because there's a foundation. The foundation is built on these rock-solid core of God knowing. Because God foreknew, you can lean into those promises. Now, here's where I think some people make a mistake when they come to this issue of God foreknowing. Some people make the mistake that they think that it means that God foresees everything out there in the future, and because he foresees people coming to faith, he simply predestines those ones to be like Jesus. Now, I want you to hang with me because there's a temptation here that you could drift. Don't lose me on this. Some people think that God foresees the future, and when He sees the future, He sees those of you who came to faith, and therefore He predestines you. But that assumes that the faith that God foresees is our work, not His work. But Scripture says very clearly that that's not the case. By that reasoning, it would say that God doesn't cause our faith, but we cause our faith. But that's not what Scripture says. That would mean God's not sovereign, and He'd be dependent upon what He sees you and I doing. The Bible is very clear that God's choice precludes human achievement, that God knows things even before we walked this planet. So let's go into what we know as familiar Scripture to help us understand this. Go first with me to Ephesians, and it says this in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved, I know many of you know this, and it says, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not the result of works. And we know that, that's familiar, we understand. We didn't do it, God gave us the gift. So Ephesians 1.4 supports this, in which it says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So this knowing that we're talking about here, this foreknowing of God knowing you is the knowing of a predetermined, intimate love relationship, a foreknowing of God knowing something about your relationship with Him. Let me support this from Scripture with you, and you might want to write some of this down in your notes as you work through it so you can share it with other people. Jeremiah 1.5, Old Testament example. God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. It's the same word, no. And here's a New Testament example, John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own. Now, many people, when they come into a conversation about predestination, probably have worked through it before. I bet many of you have wrestled through predestination before and God foreknowing. And maybe you came this morning thinking, I'll bet Mark's going to give us some Greek words and it'll finally make sense to me. Well, I am going to give you some Greek words, but I don't know that it's going to make more sense to you because of the Greek language. And there's only two this morning, and here's the first one, progenosco. And you'll see that it's a very simple definition, to know beforehand. Now, in the Greek language, when pro is in front of a word, it means something that's leaning forward, something forward. Progenosco is a compound word, and it means way beyond simply knowing something beforehand. 
In Scripture, to know something always carries the idea of intimacy in a love relationship. So let's go with that framework into this word know as we look at some examples from the Bible. Genesis 4.1, now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. So Adam made her his own, he had intimate relationship with her, and he loved her. That knowing is talking about an intimacy, an intimacy between two beings. Let's take that same thought into the next example, Genesis 18, 19. God speaking of Abraham here. I have known him so that he may command his children. In other words, God's not saying, I, I know who Abraham is. He's saying there's a relationship. There's an intimacy there. Let's go forward into the book of Amos, God talking about the people of Israel as a nation. It says this, you only have I chosen, the same concept of the word known can be traded for the word chosen. You only have I known, you only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. God knew them in the unique sense that he had predetermined relationship with them. Now, go to the New Testament. And Jesus uses the same phrase, the same type of word structure. It says this in Matthew 7, 23, then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now Jesus is God, and God knows everything. So Jesus can't possibly be saying he's never heard of these people. That's not what he means by knowing here. But he means that he never had intimate relationship with these unbelievers, no relationship to them whatsoever. But if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, look at how he speaks of you when he uses the word knows, 2 Timothy 2.19. The Lord knows those who are his. So God has intimate love relationship with you, two beings drawn into relationship together. So it would be wrong to say God foreknew simply means he foresaw who would believe and then he acted on that. Now, if this hasn't been weedy for you yet, it's about to get weedier for just a couple minutes, so just bear with me on this. For God to foreknow you, in order for God to foreknow you requires an earlier declaration by God. In other words, unless God declares something will happen, he cannot know it. Unless he declares it first and calls it, he cannot know it. What you find woven into verses 28 and verses 30 is the concept of God calling, God called you, you find in verse 28, God calling in verse 30. So here's what you find Romans clarifying for you. The call is the powerful work of God to bring about what he commands, what he declared to be. Genesis chapter 1, let there be light, there is light. Let there be plants come up from the ground, and there are plants, according to Genesis 1, springing forth from the earth. Let there be day and let there be night. Let there be stars in the sky. Let there be a moon circling the earth. Let there be, according to God's command. What you find Romans clarifying is the call 
on you is the powerful work of God to bring about what he commands, and Scripture calls it an effective call. Theologians call it the effectual call of God. It's the call that creates what he commands to be. We see this easiest in the resurrection of Lazarus, dead man in a tomb, dead body with no life in it whatsoever. God arrives on the scene, Lazarus, come forth. Do you think Lazarus had a choice in that? There's no choice in that. God commands and says, Lazarus, out here now. So God commands, creation responds, and we see God commanding and making a declaration. Unless God declares it first, he cannot know it. It's the effective call. It's the call that creates. Now, here's where people get a little derailed and a little confused on this predestination thing. When Jesus talks about many are called, but few are chosen, how do I understand that in Matthew 22, 14? What's Jesus talking about there? Well, he's referring to the external call of the gospel, God calling everybody who's ever been walking this planet, everyone to believe. He's calling them to believe, but in the history of the church... You can look back over the last couple thousand years and nothing is more obvious than the fact that many who've received this call have not accepted it and not responded to it. But here, the calling that we're talking about, the calling that's on you, the call that you heard at some point in your life, you responded to what you heard about Jesus, it's used differently here. It's referring to the work of God in a believer's heart, the work of God to call something to life that was dead. God's effectual call in this sense that all who are called are the redeemed in that sense. So we understand as we look at this foreknowing, there is so much more going on here than just God looking in the future and saying, oh, I see that one that believes. There's much more here. There's an intimacy of relationship. So God's foreknowing, God's calling is not something that's cold. Maybe you've thought of it as arbitrary before. Like God choosing sides for basketball. This is not something cold. It's filled with the warmth of love. Like the Hebrew word to know, like Adam knew his wife. Like Amos wrote that God knew Israel and called them out. So as you come into this passage, you understand there's something really, really intimate in predestination and in foreknowing. Dr. John Stott is a modern-day theologian, and he was reading through verse 29, and this was his observation. Whom he foreknows is virtually equivalent to whom he foreloved. Drink that in, church. God foreloved you before the foundation of the world, before you ever walked this planet. So the meaning of all things work together for your good if you love God, if you're called according to his purpose, is because God has known you and chosen you and loved you before you ever walked this planet. Can I support that from Scripture? Absolutely. Look with me on the screen. Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Catch this. According to the kind intention of his will, 
God's will being accomplished. So the knowing that we're talking about here, it's a predetermined love relationship in which God set his affection on you. You made it through the first five words. Give yourself a pat on the back. Let's go to the last two words, okay? For those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And what you're looking at here is the other component of this rock-solid foundation of why you can believe that those four purposes of God, they're built on a solid rock. Paul says, because he predestined. And predestined simply means having set his love on you. He chose you before you existed, and then he decided what would become of you, namely, that you would become conformed to the image of Jesus. And here's the second and last Greek word, and I told you these Greek words are not going to help you too much this morning, but they do give you a definition, maybe create a picture in your mind. It's the word perizo, and it means to limit something, only it means to limit it in advance. So I told you the word pro always means leaning into something future. But horizo, you and I are familiar with, that's horizon. So if you went over to Grand Haven today and you stood on the shoreline of Lake Michigan, you could see a very clear horizon line where the water meets the sky. We understand that's the horizon line. Well, horizo, the prorizo comes from that thought. God decided ahead of time what that dividing line would be, what that line would be, what your destiny would be. So catch this. God foreordained that believers would be brought into conformity through Jesus Christ to have a relationship with Him. So those whom God loved and those who are called are destined, predestined to be like Jesus. Maybe this thought will help you. All things work together for your good because all things work to make you like Jesus. For that, you were predestined. Now, we've come to this conversation understanding that trying to understand God's omniscience is not comprehensible by you and I. Would you agree with that? Trying to wrap your mind around God's ability to know everything is beyond my ability to process it. So no matter how much I study this, no matter how much time you spend with God's Word, you have to accept there are some mysteries I cannot fathom. In the Saturday night service last night, we went for 45 minutes after the service was done, just doing Q&A, talking about this stuff, trying to process it, trying to make sense because our minds are finite. Yet we have to hit the point where we accept there's some things we cannot fathom. So many of us, when we're looking at a passage like this, would say, okay, so what does this mean for my friends who don't yet believe in Jesus? What do I do with that? Are they not predestined? Are they never going to believe? What, what do I do with that information? Well, the first thing to accept is you and I don't know whom God predestines. It's hard information. We have no idea. We don't get to sit on the white throne. We don't know who's going to come into relationship with him. Here's what we do know, and so God calls us to act on what we do know. I know that I can believe what the Bible clearly says about those who don't yet believe but will believe because Jesus said, there's a commitment that I'm going to make to you that everyone whom the Father has given to me will come to me, John 6, 37. Some of you need to write that verse down. 
All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast him out. So there's some who are yet to come to Christ that have not yet come to Christ. And Jesus said, there's no way I'm rejecting those ones who come to me. When I come to predestination, I have to keep two aspects in mind. And this is heady stuff. But I accept some basic level stuff, some one-on-one level stuff. And this is the first one I accept. I am not his because of what I first decided. I'm not his because of what I first decided, but rather because of what God decided. I hope you're good with that. Because God decided it first before the world ever existed. So that means something for you in your life. I say this on the authority of Scripture. I am able to choose God, and we have free will. You have free will. I am able to choose Him because He first chose me. That's what makes our minds swim. Like, what? Did I get a role in this or not? Is there free will or not? Well, I'm able to choose Him because He first chose me, and according to Ephesians 1.4, it was according to the kind intention of His will, His will that you would come into relationship with Him. So here's the second aspect. I am not chosen because of who I am, but because of who He is. You are not chosen because of who you are. I'm not all that great, but neither are you, right? We're not. There was a time when Moses had to deal with Israel because they started thinking pretty haughty about themselves, thinking, we're pretty great. Look at God chose us. And Moses had to remind them, no, it's not because you're so great. Look with me on the screen at just this example from Deuteronomy 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, he's speaking to Israel here, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you, you're slaves. You came out of Egypt. You've got nothing. You don't even have a financial standing. God didn't choose you because of that, but because he loved you. So here's the struggle you and I have, and I bet some of you are wrestling with it right now. The struggle that we have in our mind is immediately we begin thinking of seventh grade gym class. We begin thinking of choosing sides for basketball. Some, some are shirts and some are skins. Guys know what I'm talking about. Or volleyball. And, and maybe two of your classmates got to choose who got to be on their volleyball team. And you stood in a lineup with a bunch of other people and somebody said, I want that one and I want that one. You can't jump. I don't want you. And it went on down the line. I choose you and not you. That's where our mind goes. We begin thinking of God arbitrarily choosing like sides for basketball. This is not what Paul is communicating here. This is not what the Bible is communicating. It's not a case of God arbitrarily choosing some and rejecting others. Paul is trying to drive a point home to us. He's saying that salvation is the result of God's purposes and action on God's part because he has a definite end goal in mind and his will will be accomplished. So balance what you've just heard about predestination with the statement from John 1.12. But as many as received him, meaning there's an option to receive, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, catch this now, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, meaning the will of God. 
So if you're a believer this morning, you can, you can point to a time when you understood Jesus became real to you and made more sense to you. In the salvation event, whenever that happened in your life, know this, it was God that took the initiative. God offered himself. He offers the relationship. And because God deals with us on a person-to-person basis, on an individual basis, you and I, we are accountable to him on an individual basis for our response. So the New Testament affirms absolutely it is also God's will that everyone would come into relationship with him. He's not rejecting anyone. Scripture balances that thought against 2 Peter 3.9. When God says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, he's not delaying this just because he's slow. He's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's God's desire. So predestination, yeah, it's a reality. God foreknowing, yep, absolutely reality. But it's balanced against the reality also that God doesn't want anyone to perish. So we come back to Isaiah 46 to end this. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. Finish the verse out. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So if you're a believer in Jesus this morning... You can go to sleep tonight knowing that God not only foreknew that would be the case, He foreloved you. So if you're predestined, it's because God has an ultimate purpose for your life, an ultimate purpose of conforming you to the image of Christ. Now check this against what you know of scriptural history. God's purpose in the original creation was ultimately that all things would bring glory and honor and praise to him. Everything that he created. So he made people. He made mankind in his own image. According to Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. Why? Just so they're like us? No. To bring glory to him according to our likeness. If predestination stood by itself... You might logically conclude this morning that all that's involved here is just an action by which God chose me. It's done. I'm in a relationship. It's over. I didn't even have a choice in it. But that's not what Paul's saying here. The remainder of the verse makes it really, really clear. It indicates there's much, much more going on here than just your deliverance from sin. God says, my objective is that you would be conformed to the image of my son. So from before time began, God created beings. He said, I'm going to create beings to be in relationship with me. Why? To bear my image, to be in my likeness. But man rebelled. Man rebelled against God, condemning all of humanity to eternal separation from him. But yet God still desires mankind to bear his image, to be in intimate relationship with him. And because he is the God, and this is what I want you to chew on between now and next week, I'm going to leave you hanging because we can't finish this this week. So chew on this. Because he is the God who does not change, 
his end purposes that he said will be accomplished. His end purposes are a match for his original purpose that we might be in the likeness of God, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus, that we would be like God in our actions, in our appearance, in our behavior, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. We'll really get into that next week. Consequently, you consider yourself a believer this morning? Consequently, every single believer here is moving unalterably towards the original purpose of God, God making a people in his likeness according to his image that we would bring him glory. So he's redeeming a people for himself, a Christ-like race that we would be citizens and inhabitants of his kingdom, dwelling with him for all eternity. Is not God good? Is not God amazing? His grace that he foreloved you. Now, I know this is probably triggering lots of questions in your mind, and if you want to talk, we can talk after the service. I'll be happy to do that. You want to send me emails? Send me emails after the service. I'd be happy to do that. But what Paul is driving at here is the reality that these commitments that your God has made to you, they're built on this foundation, and they cannot be shaken. So God can say, all things, they work together for your good because I've got you, you're mine. Let's pray. Father, I sense that there's individuals who are just um, really wrestling with this. And perhaps this has triggered new understanding. Only you know, and you know what you have confirmed in our hearts and, and what you want us to do with it. What I understand, Father, from your word is that you want us to take this information and translate it to activity, to action, because you're also about to tell us that if you're for us, who can be against us? So, Father, help us to take this information and act on it, to be those who are willing to say boldly to our friends, to our family members who are not yet in relationship with you, that they can be, because you loved us. And because you're not willing that any would perish. So, Father, help us to act on this reality. Those of us who are in relationship with you, God, drive us deeper to be bolder for you. And for those who are not there yet, God, draw them in. Draw them, Father. You can do that. Draw them to receive what you have offered. And you said you would allow us to become children of yours if we would receive it. We pray for this reality in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's people said, amen. Before I let you go, I just want to remind you that in the back of the auditorium are these books. And these are how to pray for your church. So if you're looking for something to pray for for the church, there's a 31-day prayer journal in here. And they're on that back table in the back. You can see Kyle about those. Have a great week.